Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Talk Random with Abzan Bashir and on today's show we have Matthew Solit from founder of Freedom Football and of course an F92 coach. Matthew joins us today in the studio with me and we are speaking about Matthew's journey into football coaching. So Matthew, where did your passion start for football coaching? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hopefully we can use today as just uh, a little bit of uh, my experiences within coaching. But yeah, um, got into coaching about eight years ago, being abroad across three continents and currently now working for F92, which is Foundation 92, which is a charity partner of Salford City, which obviously we've got our links yeah. because it's formed by the class of 92. And like you just said there, I've got also got my own business called Freedom Football Development Centre. And you recently had a partnership with Her Game 2? Yeah, Her Game 2. Um, that's sort of a partnership, a support campaign that highlights sexism uh, towards women in football, which again is something I'm quite passionate about after working in the Middle East, um, seeing the opportunities that aren't quite there for women. And it also gives me a, another experience of coaching. I haven't really coached that many females in, in football in the past. Um, but So yeah, Her Game 2 linked with uh, Freedom Football, F92, we can talk about that later on. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on today. Thank you. Do it, Foundation yes, 92. Yes, you get comfortable. And, some, uh, and what we've done in the past, well, what I've done in the past as well, yeah. share some insight. So Matthew, obviously you started your career eight years ago. And what made you want to get into football? And you started off in Spain, was it? Spain, yeah. Spain and Gibraltar. So Gibraltar. Gibraltar. So Gibraltar is a UK-owned country just south of uh, Spain. Oh, uh, I thought it was in like, Africa. Like, well, it is. It's the su most southern point of Europe, oh. closest to Africa. So, okay, it sounds like, yeah, go on, anyway. Yeah, so um, I guess a little bit of my story. I played football as a kid until I was about 16, but didn't make it professionally. It was more grassroots. Always wanted to be involved with sports. And, um, yeah, I did a lot of work doing uh, betting. So football trading specifically. Uh, was it What's that about, that football betting? So you were betting on football matches? Yeah, so if, say for example, you wanted to say what price was Ollie to be sacked on Sunday, mm, don't be I would have been able to give you a price. If I, Obviously, I was working in that betting industry now. Oh, you were working in the bookies? Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. So I was more of the bookie. So I worked for Bet365, and then I was offered an opportunity to be with Bet Victor, which used to be Victor Chandler, in Gibraltar. So again, it's a bit of a tax haven out there. Um, so that's why major companies sort of set up camp there, and it sort of helps them. So I was offered a job out there, so I ended up living in Spain, um, and I was actually playing sort of on borderline semi-professional footballer. Uh, in Gibraltar? Football, in Gibraltar, yeah. What was the team called? So Bruno's Mag Magpies. Bruno's Magpies, he's a yeah. British man. He's a Bruno's like, like, so a British. Bruno's was basically the local pub where everyone went. Oh, yeah. And it was formed, and again, it started as like a Sunday League team, but then Gibraltar became part of UEFA. Oh, so you'll see now, you know, like how San Marino yeah. play in Malta, Gibraltar are in that bracket of low ranked teams, but they've got a good squad. And, and uh, UEFA, like, you know, took the opportunity and saw it, seized it. And like you said, you're just um, in and out of like working in like shops and like more of a football, you're still within the football role, but you want to become a coach. What made you decide like the turning point for you? Yeah, well, that's it. It was in Gibraltar. So again, I was playing semi pro. Um, I was sort of coaching our reserves team with one of my mates, Enti. Was it was the English all right back then? Yeah, or? English, yeah. So we had some Gibraltarians, we had some Spanish. What, time, what language are they speaking, Gibraltarian, Gibraltarian? We call it um, Gibraltarian, yeah, but the, we called it uh, like Spanglish. So uh. a mix between Spain and, and English, uh, Spanish and English. Oh, right, I like so that, that yeah. was the mixture. So sometimes we used to make some jokes about it with our Gibraltarian friends. How do you say hello in Gibraltarian? 
Well, again, I think it's all Spanish. All right. So, Hola. yeah, it's basically, yeah, hola and all that sort of stuff. But they like to mix the sentences with English and Spanish. Ah, it's, that's why Spanglish. it's quite fun. Spanglish, yeah, that's what And I then you thought, it. you know what? I want to be a coach here now. Yeah, and so... You, got the, you, saw, you see his opportunity. Was there actually any coaching going on during that time? Or did you bring you to Gibraltar? So, no, again, when I was playing semi-pro, it was an opportunity to do some coaching with our reserves team. So I was captain of the reserves team. And I've always been quite vocal on the pitch. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'm probably half decent off the pitch and coaching and help. I've been around football since I, you know, I could walk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I was offered a redundancy through the betting industry that I was in Ooh. with Victor Chandler. And I was at a point in my life, I was, what, 25? And I was like, right, mid-20s. On a holiday. Yeah, exactly, basically, yeah, Brits abroad. Are we in a, we in a nice villa? Um, yeah, it was like... Um, it was like a little two-bed apartment oh, nice. in Spain, right next to the beach. Just say it's a villa, yeah. Pools, yeah, villa, basically, yeah. But it's very cheap, you know. I mean, it's ridiculous price for a, a, a villa to have in Spain compared to England. It was very nice and very cheap. And I was offered a redundancy, and it was like, do you want five grand? Oh, that's a lot. Or do you want a promotion, which basically told me that I'll be staying within the office environment for a few more years, even though obviously it was a nice country and that sort of stuff. So I was like, you know what, I'll take the five grand and I'll go travelling. Within two weeks, I was offered a job in America to, oh, co wow. to coach football. And, and did you I, take it? Yeah, so I had to quickly go back to England and get my FA Level 1. So what's is, FA Level 1 for those who don't understand? Okay, so there it's changing soon, but the basics of being a, a, a professional qualified coach. It doesn't have to be professional. Yeah. It's obviously grassroots. There's a lot of fantastic grassroots coaches out there that have Level 1s. Um, but it goes from FA Level 1 and then FA Level 2. Now, back when I was doing it, it was uh, Youth Mods 1, Youth Mods 2 as well, but I think they've combined the two now. Yeah, so make it much more easy for people to access. And when you got your FA Level 1, you just, what, what was the team like in America that you were coaching? Were they young kids? Yeah, so always young kids. So I've always... What part um, of America? I'm, in, I'm in very interested. Yeah, New Jersey. So oh, nice. Was, That's was, next to New York. Yeah, yeah, New York. Is it? it was, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. Um, yeah, no, New Jersey was amazing. Um, right next to New York. Oh, my days. You go Madison Square? Yeah. Oh, my times, days. Yeah. Did you have any New time. York pizza? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the best pizza out there. Forget Domino's in this country. It's it's amazing. But oh my talking of Madison Square, I saw yeah. when Anthony Joshua got knocked out. Oh, my days. I was there. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was very surreal because a lot of English people had come over to watch it. You were already there? And I was there, and I went to it, and it was just full of English people. At Madison Square Garden, so it's almost like being back home. And you pay for it. cheaper tickets, obviously, because you live there. Like... I mean, not so much that. No, I mean, you still have to pay the price, but obviously, it's more accessible to someone who's in the country yeah. compared to abroad. And then from that, working with like young kids and coaching, your career excelled. How many years did you literally roughly spend in America? Yeah, so after um, I was offered the position, um, and I went out there, it was, I have to be very honest, the first year. I mean, I just thought I was. Pep Guardiola or Sir oh, uh, Ferguson and just shouting and screaming. I thought that that was good coaching. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was good coaching. And Ooh. I think for me it actually did work because the education in terms of football or soccer in, in soccer. America is not how it is here, right? That's not their traditional sport. American football is yeah. their sport. Baseball, very much a coach-centred environment. So I'd done my FA Level 1. I'd no experience or real mentorship to coach kids properly other than the people that I was working with out there. So yeah, I built it up first year. It was a good experience for me. Um, and then the second year, that's where I did my Youth Mods 1, 
In America? In England, come back to oh, England. So yeah, your visas run out in so November. So how many years did you year. spend in America roughly before you came back? Five years up until last year. Oh wow, yeah. so most recently you've come back down here. So after five years, you thought, I'm going to come back home to England and start working locally, like working local, like working locally with like young people who are, who are like deemed disadvantaged and who don't really access sport. And that's where the job came in for Foundation 92. Yeah, so it's been an interesting year. So yeah, got back, but obviously with COVID. Yeah, because yeah, what was that like for you? COVID yeah, restrictions, yeah, it was very strange. Um, so probably this time last year, I had, there, was, there was COVID restrictions in place. I'd actually just got a coaching job uh, for York City. So I'm, Don't worry, you're not tiring me out. I'm just, I'm just yawning today. <laughs> I was born in York uh, and then grew up in Warrington, which is where my mum lives yes. and I live there Warrington, now. Warrington. Which is where Bash is from. Bash is from as well, in Warrington. Yeah, which is why we uh, become well acquainted in the summer. Yeah. But yeah, lockdown came. I started coaching for York City and unfortunately lockdown came and I thought to myself, I'm going to struggle here. York City Football? Yeah, yeah. York the, City Football Club. Which, what, what age groups? So it was the under eights and under twelves. That's that really it. good. Though. That's like a massive like team to like coach and help out. And like you said, obviously COVID came, so you had to think about the next steps. Yeah. So December came and we were in lockdown again. Yeah, unfortunately, so if, was... this, if this government books up, but yeah, <laughs> I was doing a lot of zooms with the younger kids, which was you know fine. It was beneficial, but seeing the papers, seeing the news, and sort of trying to assess what I could do, I knew we won't be back out on the pitch till March, April. So luckily, I applied for a position out near Bahrain, which again is next to Dubai. Yeah. I know you said Dubai earlier, but a lot of people that were discussed up with know Bahrain, they know it as Dubai. It's right. Bahrain's next door. in that UAE. Correct. It's next door. It's not in the UAE. It's it's next door. And you worked there for a bit. So yes, yeah, so I went out in December. Very fortunate. Lockdown. Yeah. So oh, they wow. didn't have any restrictions really. So I got out Setting there. Setting it up. Yeah, got out there just before New Year's Eve, and it was a company called Techers who had a, a partnership with Southampton uh, Football Club. So that was a really good experience. Um, and again, going out to the Middle East, it was another country. That I've you've been, never been before. Exactly, yeah. Like, so it's, it's much a good more experience. like different, um, different like beliefs as well, like, and different. You, you learn about different cultures while you're there, so it's like a learning trip for you as well. Like working in Bahrain, which is like in the Middle East, UAE, and just speaking to people who are English. English isn't their first language. No, as such. It was English, what was it? It was Arabic, wasn't it? Arabic, yeah, yeah. I mean, they could speak English. But American um, English, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, American English, yeah. There's a lot of American schools there. I think we've got a Navy base. The Americans have a Navy base. Met a lot of uh, great Americans uh, out there as well because obviously my link with being out there in, in yeah. previous years. So that was good. Built up a good friendship. But yeah, I guess go back to your original question of, of what I'm doing now is uh, Bahrain went onto the red list uh, oh my in June. So basically me and my mates that were... our. Um, our contract was due to end in July. Yeah. So basically, we had to rush back because I didn't want to spend eighteen hundred quid, and and stay in a hotel in London for ten days, right? I know because because the government had some sort of. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Speaking about like rushing around and playing with people's careers, the government I think like uh, didn't book up at the time, and like they didn't really care for us really, and like they're saying like yo, you gotta pay this in a hotel, but like moving on from them, like you were so struggling. You came down here and you're like, oh my days, what the hell is gonna happen now? Yeah. Like, what am I gonna do with myself? Like we're in lockdown. Covid's taking over the world. We're in a pandemic. Shit, like, what's my career going to go to now? Yeah, as like I say, I was very fortunate that I was offered the position in the Middle East because not only did it enhance my coaching experience, it got me out of the country where, like you just said there, we're not here to talk politics, but it was a mess, wasn't it, in December? Oof, this know, country is still in a mess. We're still yeah. in a pickle with this yeah. current government, like Boris, we can go on, but... Absolutely. That's another time for this podcast. No, no, I agree they with you. They need to book up at the moment, though, don't they? Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's it's not easy. And again, for me, I'm very fortunate that I was able to get that opportunity abroad. Met some great people out there as well. 
um, some great coaches that now I think I mentor them and they mentor me, you know, some... But networking, like you said, like it's always open to opportunities. And like you said, this traveling and things happen for a reason. The, all this traveling, all this connection and the pandemic and everything, sometimes it worked in a way where you, you came back to England, but then you're still unsure of what to do. But yet you still wanted to, you still have that drive, that commitment, that passion and that resilience. So you know what? I'm going to still be a coach, whether it is going to be online or help other people, I'm going to still become one. And that's where the job came for Foundation 92. Yeah. Came in. So you got the job during COVID? Yeah, so again, I got back just before the red list. So I think the red list uh, for Bahrain was going on Sunday. And literally me and five other staff of, of Techers, we got um, we got a flight on the Thursday. Did the company pay for your flight back? Oh. Yeah, that was part of like the agreement. We had to do all, everything else, the COVID tests and visas and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, got back and before the Sunday, then I had to isolate for 10 days. And I think my first day out of isolation was England-Scotland, ah. which was good fun, yeah. Um, and we no, won. England-Scotland, England that was the draw. The first game of the seat that we won at Wembley, the first game. England-Scotland was, was it? England-Scotland was the second game. But yeah, the first one, we won it, Sterling, I remember it now. But yeah, in that time, again, I'm quite a proactive person, quite a proactive coach. Yeah. You know, you're, not, be, you're not a couch potato. No, nope, yeah. sat down on one today. But you, you <laughs> want to get active, you want to get fit. And obviously lockdown coming up, you're pounding on the lockdown pounds and everything. You thought, you know what, i got to set an example. I can't be um, a big coach with a bit of blah, blah, blah. I've got to set an example. I've got to help these kids. I've got to invite them down. And, and what is the actual role that you applied for for F92? Yeah, so... Um, even when I was on that red list, I thought I can't come back. You know, I had some money put away and some savings. I had to spend a bit more money because of, you know, what was going on with the red list and stuff and getting back. Um, but yeah, I applied for some positions and I just saw this position, like I say, Foundation 92, they're an official charity partner of Salford City. And UA 92. And UA 92, which is formed by the class of 92, which again... If and we've got like John Bashi, who's obviously worked at F92. We've got Regan, who works at F92. Yeah. So there's there's quite, again, like you said, yeah. net, networking, Massive connection, right? the networking is key. Yeah, especially in this city. You know, what an amazing city Manchester yeah. is. And it's actually a small place if, if you get it right. And it's uh, it's been a great opportunity. So the position I applied was basically a part-time community support coach, yeah. casual sports coach, whatever. What, that, what was that working solved then within the local communities for those people who are hardest to reach in like local deprived catchment areas, ensuring that they get their support and they get sports within their like whole outlook yeah right? exactly and again we, we today is, is is nice for me to talk about my past and my history in terms of coaching because again I've been very fortunate to have those different experiences and even when I've done my coaching badges in England in the past yeah. I've had a direct link with a grassroots club and nothing else so when I got the position with with uh, like I say Salford City's Foundation 92 it's nice to be different though isn't it yeah the, 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 the children they have like you said they're underprivileged um, and they, in, don't, they don't take it for granted. They actually do want to learn and they do want to work. And that's when Salford F92 comes in and helps those people out because you can see the potential. And from you working there, have you seen a lot of growth within the young people? Yeah, well, uh, that's it. And we started, so we had uh, obviously Marcus Rashford's campaign yeah. with the free food. Absolutely free incredible meals. what you've done, isn't it? We were basically delivering that. It's called the half, which I think is health. And You're knocking on houses as well, delivering food parcels. We have done that, yeah. I haven't done that specifically, but that's something that, again, they did last year during COVID or last Christmas. They went out and delivering food through, you know, these sort of given, uh, campaigns that Rashford and highlighted. Coming back to your job, during the pandemic, did you see a heightened increase in more young people accessing support, sports activities yeah so again to sort of finish um, what I was saying about the, the summer with the free meals is that we put on free holiday camps oh nice so I remember the, it was me and Bash so that's how Bash, yeah. that's how I'm here today that's how I met you as well yeah we met at one of the games which yeah. we can talk about in a bit 
And but that's how I met Bashi. So I was assigned to be like I guess the lead coach. Yeah. I'm not really bothered about titles. But me and John delivered um we delivered a summer camp at the East Manchester Academy during the summer, which was able it was free. It was yeah. providing f- uh, free meals for Ethan anyone who attended. Yeah, yeah, John's uh, brother went. Yeah. And it was just again for me an eye opener because I, I saw these kids come in and like you said, they really, you know, took hold of the opportunity yeah. to go to not just because it was free, but professional coaching at a fantastic facility. Yeah. Um and it's getting them out of the comfort zone and it's getting them to access things that they never necessarily knew they had on the doorsteps. And like you're branching out to local communities and saying, you know what, we're here to help you because a lot of people can't afford to go like buy a bike, can't afford really fitness and they're just not really unsure how to do it, but you're giving them their starting life and that driving that self-belief and like like you said, it's giving them hope. That's it. And it's in, in the typical summers and half terms, you do have sort of your local football companies that have football specific yeah. um, activities and sessions, but they charge money for it. So with, with us, it's quite fortunate the foundation have got those links through the charity. I mean, it's amazing. Really good eye opener for me that we were able to provide free meals. And from week one, we had around eight children after three or four days. By the time we finished a month later, we had nearly 50 kids. And that, for me as a coach, was the most rewarding thing. And that's what me and John said afterwards. And the Foundation 92 as well, that we were able to grow it through word of mouth, support to local community, and providing the free meals. And again, I think that was sort of my start of my and Like coaching. you said, providing the free school meals. Like you, Although you're a coach, you're not just a coach helping people access sports. You're that well-being, you're that support, you're that advocacy for them, and you do support their families as well. Like you said, I'm just listening to it like, you're not just a coach helping them get into sports activities. You're helping them become the best best person, version of themselves, like whether it's just chatting to them, whether it's coming out of your house. A lot of young people during the pandemic have sort of mental health problems, and by them coming out can ease the pressure of the parents because the parents do struggle. And credit to all the parents during lockdown because a lot of parents do struggle. Absolutely. Single families, low-income low families do struggle. And by F92 supporting those children gives a bit of a break from the families as well and reassurance like, yes, we are doing something good. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you've basically hit something that is, I say it to any other coach now, whether they're UEFA A or FA Level 1, coach the person before the player. And yeah. I think I've had that opportunity to share my wealth of experience. And that's what we did. And again, it wasn't, and, and I didn't really sort of finish what I said. Year one in America, I thought it was Pep. Yeah, do this, oh, do yeah, that. Oh yeah, I interrupted you there. And, and no, that's not, that's not coaching. You know, everything that I do, when I whether it's F ninety two or so what, your whatever it may opinion be. of coaching changed when you first started. Yeah, you know? exactly. So yes, what, obviously you said you, you, when you first started, you were more like shouting. And what made you change? And what made you realize, crap, it's not shit. It's not, it's not working. Yeah, well, again, I, I thought it was working. I thought it was right until I'd done that youth module one, and then I had that mentorship, uh, mentorship with other coaches, um, and I realized that what I was doing was it was achieving short term success, and that's yeah. not education. Being a coach is passing on information. I read it in a book with a, a book called Gold Dust. By who? Uh, Keith Mayer. I wanted to look uh, at him. Keith, Keith Mayer, Gold Keith Dust. Keith Mayer, yeah, Gold Dust. So basically he says, what is coaching? The word coach comes from, from years ago of carriages, of things being delivered from one place to another. So me to a child, me to an adult is passing on information. I don't have to shout at you to tell you. By you shouting at someone, it won't register in the head it'll make them more rude or make them more exactly, disobedient yeah. or make them not come to you because they don't trust you because you're being aggressive that's it or passive aggressive in comments and sometimes like you said being passive aggressive can be a negative trait yeah and that's why again i really believe coaching the person before the player because if if you develop that relationship whether it's a, a five-year-old 15 year old 25 year old 
you develop a relationship and rapport, they'll trust you that way. Yeah. Not by giving them the, the, the information that you know is right. You need to educate them that and get them to those steps. And, and that's it. And so the FA, FA four corner model works on uh, physical and technical, psychological, social. So everything that I do and, and we do at F92 and we'll get onto other things that I get up to as well is psychological. Can you help them make good decisions socially? Yeah. Can you get them involved? Which again, I think football is amazing because it gives a lot of people that belonging and value. And especially after a yeah. pandemic, and listening back to like, that. obviously, yeah, like it's crazy. And then obviously speaking about like what you've achieved so much now, you obviously work for F92, but since F92, you've actually um, moved on and you came into more better things. For example, you're doing your own company now, which is supporting yokel Lung Emerging Talent. And what is it about? Well, what's it called again, guys? Yeah, so uh, the business is called Freedom Football Development Centre. See, Freedom Football Development Centre. What was the vision behind it? And what was the whole meaning behind it? And why yeah, did you so create it? I think, it, I, I call it Freedom Football. Obviously, it has to have a name attached to it. You can't just say Freedom Football. It's not specific. So I think the Development Centre, you, you know, a lot of academies have that name. I don't want to be linked with any sort of academy or yeah. grassroots club. So you call, you call it Freedom? Freedom Football, basically. But yeah, Freedom Football, FFDC UK on Twitter. or Freedom Football it. Development Centre UK. Yeah, I like that. It's not an academy, which is good. And it's basic. Play football with freedom. Yeah. So again, going back to that coaching the person before the player, is I believe if you have a coach-centered environment, it's about me, it's about the coach. No, it needs to be about child-centered environment. It gives the kids opportunities to be guided, make mistakes, so they have the opportunities to learn. And that's, on, it's about the longevity. Yeah. And like I said, freedom football, it's about the longevity, and it's about, for you, helping people expand their knowledge around football and... To this day, you've helped a lot of, you've worked with a lot, you've grown your channel, you've grown your Instagram page from zero followers to how many? I was about 13, 1400 now, yes. Yeah. It's only been going a couple of months yeah. as well. And you started it like, just like recently. September, October yeah. time, yeah. And it was just sort of a vision that I've had over years. And again, very lucky, very grateful for the experiences I've had in the Middle East, North America and, and, and Spain, and obviously now England, that I've been able to put that into this business which again, it's, I love the words freedom football because when the kids turn up, I want that to be freedom the best football, like, hour of their week. Yeah, right? they don't have, And yeah. to have freedom See, away from really... instruction from their teachers or their parents. And I sort of want to share my experiences with teachers and, and, and uh, parents as well. And I'll say to them, you know, let them play because I'll give them a challenge that will motivate them intrinsically yeah. to go out and perform. And what's the most rewarding thing from being like a coach and being an running your own company what's the most rewarding thing for you personally as in growth as a, for the young person or you're seeing just resilience and real commitment what have you watched what's been your proudest moment seeing kids come back i think that's probably the main thing i think seeing seeing children come back week in week out and actually seeing them progress and yeah. seeing the education that the parent sees is that what i believe is not right or wrong what i think is is a good way of learning football is in this environment. So it's a lot of different fun games. It's a lot of invasion games, a lot of tag games. So invasion games is, you know, a lot of people running around and tag games is a lot of people getting yeah. tagged. So again, it's it's creating that story as well. And creating a story and playing tag games and you've seen children who have, have not really necessarily spoke to anybody. Maybe they're in quiet, maybe they're anxious, maybe they're unsure, maybe they maybe um, have underlying like mental health issues. As soon as they come for the football and as soon as they come for freedom football, I think all that anxiety and all that worry goes away because 
they're in the safe haven, if that makes Yeah, exactly. And again, I, I really don't want this to be linked to a grassroots club. I don't want it to be linked to any academies because, I mean, I've worked in academies. I know how they work. Yeah. And that's fine. There's some fantastic coaches there. But I know if they come to Freedom Football on a Saturday morning or, you know, a Tuesday evening, they're literally going to be turning up and getting guidance through challenges and questions to be educated, to, to enjoy football as a kid. So if they're having fun, they're going to get better. If they get better, they'll be competitive. Yeah. If they can be competitive, then you'll get your wins when you're a teenager and potentially with academies and stuff. Yeah, and um, like I said, it's not always about how good you play football. It's about the well-being side of it. And like, that's the first and foremost. That I'm, what I'm getting from it is like, it's the individual. You're not just a number. Everyone is treated. Everybody has different abilities, but yet everybody needs that well-being, that reassurance around them. So that's giving the reassurance and the well-being to them. And like coming on, coming on about well-being and reassurance. Over the weekend, unfortunately, I'm really upset by this. Ole yeah. was sadly um, sacked. Yeah. Um, the United manager, and I was genuinely, genuinely upset for him. I feel like he came to United at a difficult time. He came to United with like Mourinho got sacked, and Mourinho was like at, at, one, at once. He was once one of the best managers in the world, but not. But then because he's slacking, he's not. He was one of the greatest managers. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was just an absolute. He was ingrained in United from day dot. He was playing for United as a like a teenager, twenty year old. His career was at United, and for him, to obviously going to United, it's a dream come true being the coach. But I feel like for me, he's had a lot of slack and he's had a lot of disrespect on his name by numerous people, like people tweeting him. The fans as well, like the fans say the United fans, but the fans saying Ole out, Ole out, and I feel like that's just rude. He done a video on Sunday, which got quite yeah, tearful was, for. Yeah, it was, and it was quite upsetting watching. It was really upsetting, but I think again, I think that's what I'd want to be as a coach. Did I make an impact? Yes or no? Did he make an impact? Absolutely he cared about he the well-being, and that's the thing no one realizes is right. He cared about your well-being. He cared about you as an individual, and he cared about like, obviously it's about how you play, but he was like more of a well-being guy, more, he more cared about their mental health and their everything. And he didn't really care about what people are saying about them online or what I said about him. He didn't, but he was always saying, don't look online, don't look online. And I think for me personally, he'd done a really good job. Yeah, I'd like to say a word, like a, a phrase that I use is on and off the pitch, right? So off the pitch, I think he brought Manchester United identity back. He brought a, a real value of yeah. what it means to wear a Manchester United shirt. Whereas... The previous years, it was right. Bring the best manager in at that time. And does that work really? Like and now, just go and win games. Like whereas now, now an interim manager at the moment is that going to work? I don't know. No, it's going to be tough. It definitely be a challenge. Carrick's not the long term plan. He's definitely well, a short term plan. Should have sacked Oli. Me personally, I don't think they should have sacked him soon. I think they should have just let him try his best. He was trying his best, and unfortunately, you can't blame the manager. The teammates, the teams weren't good enough. The team weren't working together, and I feel like sometimes. The team people like to compete against each other. They don't really share the ball and that's like to hit the glory. But I feel like um, for Ole, he was, in my eyes, the best, one of the best managers for United. Yeah. During his, um, he's been the longest, one of the longest managers, I think. I think I have to agree with you. I think I spoke to a lot, see a lot of mates since then. I spoke to Bash about Bash it as well. Bash was upset as well. I was quite sad about it Sunday morning. Um, but I think again, what, you know, bringing right, why you brought this up is how is he as a person? And I think that's what matters to me as most. And I'm a Man United fan. And uh, you know, I don't think my opinion it. will ever change at all. I think it's even gone even gone bigger. I think he is just an asset. It's inspiration to a lot of men out there that like it's all right to get upset and it's all right to cry. And that's one of the things that I realised. You know what? He is such a genuinely, genuinely 
nice person. And when he cried, what were you thinking? Because a lot of men were slating and saying, why are you crying? Men don't cry. And he just proved him wrong. He's a footballer, ex-footballer, coach, a Manchester United legend, crying on massive worldwide, like, on the internet, on TV. And people were laughing at him. No, and that's I mean, thing, like, it's... it's not funny. Like, men do cry as well. And that's the thing. you got to think about his well-being and his, like, children might see what you're writing. Um, and when, when you're putting pressure on his friends to say he's not good, he is good. I think he is good. But he's just a true character to himself, like him crying and everything, just to show what kind of person he was. Yeah, I mean, it's all about perception nowadays, isn't it? It's um, when we talk about mental health and, 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 and what should be said and what shouldn't be said and why can't he cry just because he's a man? What, what yeah. does that go to? Because he's a legend. He's got, and again, he's got his own beliefs. He's got his values, which again, I think he's really brought them back to Manchester United. Unfortunately, on the pitch, it wasn't working out, whether it's a tactical issue or whatever it may be. And I guess... I think Neville said it on his podcast yesterday that we'll find out in three months' time because those players loved Ollie, And I don't think the results were reflective of them not performing for him. Just something wasn't working. They loved him. That's the thing. The players loved working. him. But one thing I, like, I, I disagree with is when you get all these tabloid journalists and tabloid people who are making assumptions or making comments about Ollie, and do you not understand the, the impact of having their well-being? Now, that he, now him leaving... The players have realised, the public have realised how much of an impact he's had on them. Yeah, absolutely. And you get the fans who say he's not good, but they're real United fans then. Yeah. No. And they're slating it, Ole out, Ole out, like... It's, it, it, Abs, it's education, mate. Like, it's the same with, with a, a, a child playing football at eight years old. Well, like... anyway, let me just tell you, um, Matt, um, <laughs> Matthew. that type of football, but, Matthew, <laughs> it's about, like, you got to realise, like, you can't play fire with fire, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be tweet tweeting someone something and then saying, oh, we're sad, Ollie's gone. Like, at the end of the day, we will find out in three months' time what, what, what the real is. Is it the owners that wanted him out? Is it because the owners didn't like the relationship with Ollie and them and they didn't like the Glaziers, for example? Is it that, really? Like, is it the owners, really? Yeah, there's, there's obviously an issue at the, at the top of the pile, isn't there? That's well, let me tell you, team. the top of the pile will need to speak to me because <laughs> at the end of the day, Ollie, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of yours. Hopefully, we'll be friends soon. But let me just tell you, the Glaziers need to just apologise to Ole. The way they treated him, mm. I think they treated him with disrespect. That's just me, like... Um, and they didn't, even, they didn't even, like, really care about him. Like, he's had he's had it hard. And one thing people are forgetting, like, we're in a pandemic for nearly two years. There's no live football games. So how can you say, like, oh, Ole was being crap, he's been losing games. We don't care if it's nearly the end of the season or the start of the season. It's been hard for everyone. The pandemic's been hard for everyone, so you don't know how it's affected him as a person. No, yeah, I agree. But when you're in that position and power of, of a, like I say, a, a brand, you know, that them business people, like we're talking about the Glazers, they don't really care about that stuff. And that's, all they care about is the money. Yeah. That's all they care about, the money. And obviously, if results aren't being reflective on a weekend and during the week, then obviously Ollie's the first man that's... We'll get the chop. Yeah, which... And again, like, obviously, and like you said... I think like, he's accepted that, by the way. I think part of that crying on Sunday that you said is him realising and accepting that he took, he got us to that point and couldn't get us to that next level, which is winning trophies. He, he, he should have done with the Europa League. Um, but, but I feel like people learn, learn from the mistakes, and I feel like at the end of the day, what's, what's being done is done. Mm-hmm. He was he was crying because he felt proud and he felt happy that he'd achieved something so yeah, exactly, good, yeah. Yeah. and he's done good. But like, rounding it all off, hopefully they'll... What, what do you think of the score tomorrow? Uh, United tonight, innit? United. Yeah, sorry, it's, tonight. Uh, tomorrow, yeah. No, tomorrow. tomorrow, 5.45, yeah, against Villarreal. Um, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah, it's a draw. No, yes, a draw. Draw. I'll go for a draw. Um, 
because. But I think like obviously like it's always going to be a lift. Sometimes like them it's gonna players be sad now. Still. It's going to be sad still for the players. Yeah, them players will have a lift though. It's natural for a manager to leave and have some sort of different. They'll, they'll be they'll be getting coached differently. Even though Carrick and that sort of stuff have already been there, Carrick will have his own ideas and identity. Not doesn't mean that all. Do you think Van, Van Der Beek will play anymore? Um, because he scored for us. He should do. I mean, he should do, but it's. I think McTominay's absolutely brilliant, and he should be one of the first players on the team sheet every week. Ooh. He's a local lad. I know Keane keeps saying he's learning his trade. Well, he's a little bit older than Declan Rice, but I think McTominay is performing really well. Uh, do you well, think like um, like um, Greenwood needs... and everything are um, up to much at the moment, or do you think they're just more social media? What do you mean? Like, are they just like are they just loving? Are they just being like they want to be more social media stars than footballers? Yeah, I guess uh, I know what you're saying now. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably why I love McTominay because you never really see him yeah. on on social media. There's nothing wrong. It's just, need, just helping your brand. There's nothing wrong with being on social media. I feel like social media is an absolutely good thing, but sometimes fitness is crack on with the football and then social media afterwards. That's it. It's that fine line and balance, isn't it? Neville says it all the time. They've all got social media managers and people that do it for them because, like you said, it's a brand. But I don't know. I wouldn't read into that too much. I know them players are hurt, and you see Bruno on on. Bruno Fernandez is really devastated. He was upset, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was like telling the the play uh, the fans that it's us as well. But you know, it is a place, and the fans need to realise that the fans need to book results. up, innit? So anyway, Matt, rounding it off, where can we see like your coaching career at F? Um, my mind's gone blank. F92 and Freedom Football. F92 and Freedom Football. Where's the next steps for you guys? Well, I really want to see the foundation now grow and support schools and communities in and around the Salford area specifically. Um, so I'll be looking to contact schools over the next sort of month, ready for the new, new year. Yeah, so getting, yeah. It, getting it ready early, bagging it in. Yeah. Fish, bash, bosh. Seeing what, you know, what schools need and how we can sort of go alongside their curriculum and support them, whether it's through English, maths, PSHE and PE. Obviously, we're more sport dominant um, and that's probably what we're more, we're more skilled in, but we have specific programmes that can support that. So in terms of F92 and, and Salford City and... and uh, Where can people find your work, your, your page, Freedom Football? Freedom Football. So again, it's FFDC UK on, on Instagram. That's probably more where it's and you uh, updates. May, you may have some partnerships with some people during the line. Could you yeah, talk so, about it? Yeah, I know we're, we're, we're stuck on time a little bit, but yeah, I just had some uh, partnership with... Um, uh, like a, a support camp game, comp- uh, sorry, her a support, game two. Camp- support campaign called Her Game Two. Yeah, her Game Two is about females enjoying football. Yeah, so they highlight you know sexism in in football, and I guess again we've run out of time a little bit, but yeah. I coach for Altrincham Ladies as well, which I'm very proud to be part of. And, and yes, Matthew. Yeah, so we're, again, I'm quite since the Middle East. I think I was quite yeah. passionate about females in football because they don't really have the opportunities out there. And again, we don't have time to talk about that now, but obviously people know the Middle East is different Is that why the Middle East made your hair a bit ginger? (laughs) Joke. I think it was the sun. Ah. But yeah, I got passionate and I was given a fantastic opportunity to be part of Altrincham Football Club with the ladies team. And again, my message is the same with them. And, you know, they're mid-20s and late teens and fun, development, competitive, and the results will come based on the way I want them to play and the club want them to play. Yes, Matt, obviously, Matthew, it has been an absolute pleasure. Talk random. This podcast is going to be out on Thursday, possibly, guys. Thursday, you said. But honestly, guys, it's been a pleasure. Matthew, you have been a star, finally. And let's hope Bashi is back soon. Hopefully, yeah. Bye.